Please remain standing as you are able for the reading of God's word. The text for this morning is from 1 Peter 2, verse 11 through 17. I will be reading in Danish, and the English text will be on the screen as I read. Elskede venner, i denne verden er vi kun på gennemrejse. Vi bor her et kort tid som udlændingen og fremmede. Derfor opfordrer jeg jer til at ikke at bukke under for selvvis begær, for det ødelægger sjælen. Selv når de gudløse taler ondt om jer, skal I opføre jer godt og prisværdigt over for dem, så de må blive tiltrukket ved at jagtage jeres gode liv og gerninger. Så vil det på dommens dag kunne takke Gud for jer. Da I repræsenterer Herren, skal I underordne jer de menneskelige myndigheder, hvad enten det er en konge, som er sat til at regere, eller det er en ordensmagten, som straffer, forbryder og påskynder dem. Det handler ret. Der handler ret. Det er nemlig Guds vilje, at jeres eksemplariske levevis skal lukke munden på dem, som kommer med uovervejede beskyldninger imod jer. Kristus har sat jer i frihed, men brug ikke friheden som en undskyldning for onde handlinger. Nok er I frie, men I er også Guds tjenere. Vis respekt for alle mennesker, og vis jeres kærlighed til alle de kristne. Frygt Gud og respekterer Herren. This is God's word. Please be seated. All right, good morning, church. Uh, children are dismissed for uh, Children's Church, and a reminder to parents to pick them up either right before or right after you take communion. Uh, uh, if you're visiting today, uh, I am Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity City Church. It's good to have you here. And uh, if you're wondering why the scripture reading was in a different language, this is something we often do uh, during the scripture reading to celebrate the global nature of the Christian faith. Uh, but specifically, today's reading was in Danish to celebrate our, the work of the gospel that's being done through our guest preacher, among other folks in uh, Denmark. Uh, but we get to hear uh, specifically through one of our gospel partners, Christian Roth, this morning. He's going to be bringing the word. He's planting New Song Church in uh, Copenhagen. He is uh, personally Swedish, grew up in Sweden, uh, and met his wife who is from Alaska while they went to uh, Moody Bible Institute in Chicago and found out as we got to know each other the last uh, couple days that he was roommates with a really good friend of mine that uh, we went to church together in my time during Chicago. So I didn't know Christian then, but I knew his roommate uh, really, really well. He's a, he's a friend of mine. Um, Christian is also launching the Gospel Coalition Nordic, uh, which is how uh, Trinity discovered a partnership with him. We also are connected with the Gospel Coalition here in the United States, and he's launching a work through that ministry in, uh, in and for uh, Nordic countries. Um, what else can I say about him? So he's staring at, staying at the Airbnb, our, our apartment on the third floor, so he's residing there for, for the weekend. Um, and this morning we uh, walked to Bread and Chocolate and Grand Avenue, uh, if anybody's a fan there. And if you were to predict what drink uh, he would order for like a coffee drink, uh, you couldn't write this up any better. He ordered a drink called the Swedish. That's the drink, that was the name of the drink, and he actually gave some feedback to the barista that this is actually not that Swedish, and I think she felt really bad, like, like the drink was like appropriation or something like that, so I think if you could be praying for her, I think she's just working, working through some stuff after, after that encounter this morning. 
Uh, and the last thing I'll say about my brother before he comes up and brings us the word is uh, I would say he probably had the most mic, uh, epic mic check in Trinity's history when he was, he was uh, making sure his mic worked because he was uh, rapping some Rage Against the Machine lyrics to do his mic checks. He recognized he's in church, so he did the radio version of it, but nonetheless, uh, never in the history has that happened. And uh, it was also a lot of fun to see that. So brother, come on up and, and give us the word. Thank you. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean for that to go public, but now, now, now you know. We, have a, we, we appropriate American culture as well, so. Um, yes, yeah, so my name is Carl Jan Christian Roth. Yeah, I'm a Swede in exile in Denmark, so. Um, yeah, and just really thankful to be here. I feel like that was a, a fine introduction, um, but really good to get to know Brian. Um, and Josiah last night, and, and, and Lindy, of course, and yeah, so many Nordic connections in, in Minnesota, so <laughs> it's really cool, and yeah, i just really honored to be here with you, and um, excited to f- see where this partnership leads. Uh, we're actually doing a, a Gospel Coalition Twin Cities event tomorrow as well, so I'm getting a little feedback, I don't know, but um, yeah, we are, we're, we've been doing this, we, I'm saying we, like, I just feel right at home here. Uh, we've been doing this out of context series, you guys have, and I think that's really cool. That's a great series, and I'm out of my context today, so I feel like that's my version of out of context. Um, but we're going to be talking about ministry in context, ministry uh, from exile. Um, so why, why talk about that? Why talk about this idea of what it means to be Christian in a post-culture, post-Christian culture, a post-modern culture, a world that is more and more hostile to the message of the Bible. Um, that's how we feel in the Nordics. I've been in the States now for a while, and I'm encouraged by what's happening here. I know it can be easy to get doom and gloom, um, but I do think things are changing, right, in America, for sure. As a Christian, as a, as a church attender, it's difficult to see how the place of comfort that we've had as Christians is going to remain that way in the West. Pew Research here recently in the U.S., I read, followed 23,000 U.S. participants over five years, mostly up until 2019, so prior to the pandemic, um, and found a trend over those five years that is projected to, by 2070, mean that the nuns, which are people who identify as not a part of any religious group, um, will be the majority in America. So right now, Christianity, people who identify as Christian, is the majority. But by 2070, um, and this depends on whether these religions are switching. um, There's various variables. Religion switching continues at the same rate, speeds up, stops entirely. Um, But it shows that Christians right now is at 64% shrinking to a little more than half and then dipping beneath that. And the nuns would rise from the current 30% to 34% and then eventually 52% depending on these variables. So by 2070, we will all in the West be doing ministry from exile. So why should you listen to me today? Well, pretty soon this will be your daily life. So 
I hope that shows you why this is a real issue for us. How should we respond? How will you respond today to this question? How do we do ministry from exile? So we're going to be pre- I'm preaching from 1 Peter, so you can open your Bibles if you have them, and I'll pray and read the text. Um, oh yeah, there's a picture of my family too. <laughs> you can leave that up for just a minute longer, yeah. So that's my wife Stephanie and my four kids right outside of where we meet for our church plant. Um, they're, they're goofing around, the kids there. So um, Let me pray. Lord, we just ask that you would be with us today. We ask that you would make your face to shine. I, I thank you, Lord, for this historic space. Um, we pray that you would guide my words, that I would be um, faithful to the opportunity to preach. It's a great honor to be here. Father, I thank you for technology, that we can re- re- record this sermon, that there's a microphone strapped to my ear, as it were. Uh, but I pray, Father, that you would remove that microphone from my ear and, and, and take it, Lord. May your voice be the one that is amplified today. Um, may you be the one that gets the spotlight and um, I pray, Father, that you would give us all the ability to believe the words of Scripture as we meditate on them together. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. When I was told I was doing a sermon in the out-of-context sermon series, I was like, uh-oh, I better have my A game on. Um, so a little bit of context for First Peter. First Peter is a book written to the dispersion or the exiles is how it starts. So that's kind of where the theme comes from, embracing a noble otherness. That's the title today, Ministry from Exile. And some people debate, who is he talking to? Is he talking about Jews, Jewish Christians that are kind of scattered around the Roman Empire? Or is he talking to Christians and using this metaphor of exile as a way of talking about the Christian life? I think it's the second of those. Obviously, that's why I think we can just talk about it as ministry from exile. The reason I think that is because the way Peter writes this, it's not very Jewish in his context and his mindset, like other, like Hebrews or James even. And it seems like he's talking and addressing a Greco-Roman mentality. So that's the way I'm going, all right? So I'm not taking it out of context. All right, Brian? Uh, So, um, But I've got four points from this passage. I hope they're helpful for you. They're all A's. I'm a Baptist preacher, so we're going all A's here. And I know you guys are like a real liturgical church, so I got my sport coat on and everything. But but I'm going to ask you to say say them with me. All right? Does that sound good? So say them after me. The first one is abstinence. Say abstinence. And that's from verse 11. The next one is above reproach. Say above reproach. And the next one is alignment. Say alignment. And then the last one is abandon. Say abandon. And you'll see that in the text, I hope, today. So let's start off with abstinence. Verse 11. Verse 11, and this is what I mean by that. Well, let me read the verse because it's first. Um, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Um, that's the ESV. It uses the word abstain, abstinence. That's like an old, crunchy word, isn't it? Um, and what do I mean by that? I mean, contrary to our intuition, ministry in exile means saying no. It means abstaining. It means 
having limits. We are limited. Um, I think as we think about the post-Christian world, we think about our secular context. As we started this church in Copenhagen, it was easy for us to think, you know, we need to build bridges. We need to be like super cool. And you guys are all really cool, by the way. It's like awesome, cool people. I love, I love the vibe here. But, but like, I think what we found over time is that actually otherness is more attractive to, to the world. Uh, our holiness, um, our abstaining from the passions of the flesh. The word here for abstinence uh, in the ESV is anerkeo uh, in the Greek, and it can be translated to hold back or to abstain, like we have here, or even to have completely, to have completely, to have a whole grasp of something. It's a wholeheartedness, a self-control that it describes. Part of following Jesus is self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a man who does not rule over his spirit is like a city without walls. What do I mean by this? And again, I think it's intuitive for us to think that the way to connect to this increasingly secular culture is to try to fit in, try to operate on their terms. Um, But my experience, again, is that as you connect with people, they're attracted to otherness. They're attracted to um, seeing a practice of the faith that is devout, that is serious, that is comfortable with being different. In Denmark, there's this phrase um, called elastak. Maybe, maybe you probably know it. Um, it's uh, basically a way of saying thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> Have you ever had someone say that to you? You're coming over or they're inviting you to something social and, you know, it's kind of that awkward moment where it's like you realize you just got, you know, kind of got turned down. Thanks, but no thanks. You know, it's like the polite way of saying, like, I don't have time for that. And uh, I think the interesting thing about that dynamic is that we, you might feel rejected to a degree, but it sort of makes you want to do the thing you were inviting that person to even more, right? It's like when they say thanks, but no thanks, it's kind of like, oh, all right, what do I need to do? Like, it's like you know? And I think that when we, when we relate to the world in a way that says, like, we operate on totally different presuppositions. Like, my foundation is totally different than yours, and I'm very clear and recognize that. It creates this sort of, like, it's kind of like reverse psychology, you know? Um, when we were living in the States, Starbucks was, you know, gaining popularity and these sorts of things. And I've always compared Starbucks to my experience at Chick-fil-A. Like Chick-fil-A, you guys, I don't know. You have that here? I don't know. Um, I've been driving all over the States. I I can't keep track of who has what. But Chick-fil-A, it seems like they're so eager for you just to be pleased, right? You come in, they're just like, it's kind of like they're over-serving you. You know what I'm saying? It's like you're sort of a bit uncomfortable. It's like, okay, just relax. Like it's kind of, it's a bit much. You know, like, yes, I'm pleased, I'm happy. Yes, you can take this. That's fine. Um, Whereas at Starbucks, at least... Maybe this has changed, I don't know, but years ago it seemed like Starbucks was more sort of like, you get the, get the impression that you're sort of lucky to be there, you know, <laughs> right? It's like, we're very busy, and uh, yes, we will allow you to pay $6 for that coffee beverage, you know, and, and it, but it sort of like makes you like, oh I, should, oh, I should pay $6, you know, like, it's like, they're very busy, you know, and 
I think that's what it's like. I think that's what Peter's describing here. When we abstain from the passions of, that the world has to offer, it sort of creates this sense of, oh, okay, that's, that's a, actually a compelling lifestyle. That, they don't seem like they're missing out. They don't seem discontent. They seem to have a wholeness to their life, especially when you invite people into your home and they see the effect of the gospel and, and holiness in the life of a family and in the life of, of community, there is something really compelling to that. So let me just ask you right now, by way of application and, and thinking about this text today in our first point, how, how, how have you perhaps compromised uh, in the name of mission? Um, again, I'm not doubting our, our motives in that. I myself can relate to that, but perhaps you have started to embrace some attitudes that the world has, has promoted. Perhaps a crassness of speech, unwholesome talk, as it's called in the Scriptures. Um, emotional connections with, with people that are outside of, you know, maybe your marriage relationship. What, what, what ways are you think you're being missional, but really, <laughs> you're, you're compromising? Um, so, that's abstinence. Good, fun, crunchy start there, huh? Um, everybody say abstinence. All right, so the next one is above reproach. Say above reproach. Yes, and here we have ministry in exile means proving our love is real over and over again. Um, verse 12 and verse 15 is where I get this from. So you can look there. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of of foolish people. So similar principles in both 12 and 15. And what is that? It's that when you live a godly life in a hostile, secular, in this context it was more polytheistic, right? Um, but you're going to have people say to you, probably like today, maybe some of you are thinking, he's talking about abstinence. Like that's so, you know, like you're probably like, that's so legalistic. You know, the accusations start coming, right? Um, and how does Peter say you should respond? What does he say? He says, live in such a way that their accusations just fall on dead ears. Um, in such a way that God gets glory. And that's such an amazing concept, isn't it? That's so unlike religion. Religion says, I want to do things so I get credit. I want to be a good person so people say, like, look at that good, good thing. That guy's a good, good guy. Good guy there. He's a good guy, you know? The business, business world. Um, when you're networking or something and you, you meet someone and you're like, oh, yeah, I met him from that business. What do you say? Oh, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. It's like, that's, that's kind of... But what does he say? No, no, no. Live in such a way that they don't say that, that they glorify who? God. How, how, how do you live that way? How, how do you live that way? I don't know. I think it's interesting to think about. Um, Brian, he's a good guy. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, really good pastor. Really, I'm just, get, just getting to know you, but you know. So, um, <laughs> no, he is. Great guy. So thankful. You know, Justin, my friend back there. Good guy. Really good guy, you know. Um, Lindy and Josiah that I've been getting to know. But how do we live in such a way that people say, wow, 
their God must be glorious. Their God must be satisfying. What fountain are they drinking from? I want that. And let me suggest that it's a lifestyle that is not merely rule-keeping, but by love, humble, hope, gentle, optimism. The word here for good, keep your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, is often translated just good. It's the Greek word kalos, or kalos, depending on what pronunciation you use. And honorable in English, I think, misses, misses the point, personally. When I think honor, I think of like those Marines commercials that always come up during like sports events here in America, right? It's like honor, duty, like do, uh, you know? And again, I think that's kind of like, I, I, kalos is actually often translated beautiful, just beautiful in the New Testament, in Koine Greek. Um, and I think n- what I'm suggesting is I like the translation noble, and I'm not an expert by any means, but for the sake of our conversation today, noble, because what does noble mean? It means that there's something compelling, there's something dignified, there's something about our, the lifestyle of a follower of Christ that just makes the world go like, wow, they're above reproach. Like, you know that phrase, above reproach. There's a logic in this text, right? When you live a noble lifestyle, people's natural reaction to when someone says like, oh, they're evil, they're a bigot. What's the natural response? It is, no, no, no. Look at them. They're so dignified. They're so beautiful. There's such an attractiveness to their love. It's similar to the requirement of, of elders, right, above reproach. And that's why I'm using that phrase, because the thing about elders in the New Testament, for those of you who study that, is it's just describing something that's common to all Christians. Like sometimes I think we, 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 we hold elders and we say like, oh, they have to be like really super spiritual. But actually, that's just discipleship. The way that eldership is talked about there is the same way Peter's talking about the Christian lifestyle here. And what is that? When, when they're accused of evil, they're, they're silenced by their life. They're above reproach. They have, we have you know, this lifestyle that people just know, like, no, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't do that. They couldn't be that way, okay? There's a logic to the text. I'm staying with my good buddy Sam in Ohio, who Brian actually assessed. It's kind of funny. But I've known him since college, really well, close friend. And, you know, if someone were to come to me and say, like, Sam is embezzling money from the church, from King's Cross Church, you know, I would say, like, no, no, like, no, that's not true. You know, above reproach, that's what it means to be a Christian. It also involves, I would say, from this passage, a willingness to face false criticism and to be persistent in earning credibility. Okay? Um, Christians in exile, believers in the Scriptures and the Gospel, we're going to be a minority. We're going to be no longer the, the dominant cultural narrative. And what does that mean? Like when you're, I don't know if you've ever been in a place like as a minority, kind of out of your normal context. Um, like if you guys came to Denmark, you know, you'd probably feel that way. You'd kind of be like, you know you're a minority, so it affects the way you think about things, doesn't it? It affects the way you're like, okay, I'm not operating on my cultural best foot forward here, so I need to be aware of that. And that's what Peter's saying 
we should always do as Christians. There's an expectation of the fact that we will be a minority. It means that you can't assume things. It means that you need to listen more. It means you need to prove your love is real. That's, by the way, a quote from my favorite Swedish metal band, Blindside. I'm old now, so if anybody actually listens to metal, they're like a little older, but it's from, you know, back, back in the day. So his name is Christian, too, by the way. But it's a song, it's called Silence, and he says, we have to prove that our love is real over and over and over again. He's actually saying it in kind of a frustrated way. He's like, ah, oh, we have to prove, you know, metal, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but, but it's a good point. That's, that's what we're called to do. We're called to do that as followers of Christ. Um, so what happens when we live this way? Verse 15, ignorant people are silenced. Don't you love the way the Bible talks? So that you can silence the ignorant people. It's like, oh, this passage was really compelling until you said that, Peter, you know. Um, but, yeah, that's what he's saying. Like, what does he mean when he says that? He's saying people who don't know the gospel and the love of Christ accuse us, but then they know us, they get close to us, and, and, and Lord, Lord willing, like, they're saved, and they come to a knowledge of, of, of Christ. Um, there's a book by an author called Rosaria Butterfield. It's called The Unlikely... Uh, the Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, and she was this very active, you know, LGBTQ and a, a, a women's lit professor and basically hated Christians, particularly our kind of Christians, um, and she wanted to write an article kind of decrediting, de de what's the word, um, defaming the Christians in her community, and so she, she wrote this article and she got lots of hate mail on one side, and then she got lots of love mail from the other side. You know, like, so all the Republicans were probably writing the hate mail, and all the Democrats, and anyway. But then there was this third, this third letter, there's one letter that was a third, she couldn't categorize it as hate or love mail, and it was from this Presbyterian uh, pastor who was trying to just lovingly engage her on the matter. Like, I disagree with you, but... And, and she was so sort of taken aback by this experience that she reached out to him and said, I'd love to meet you. He invited her into his home and had dinner with, with her and started this long-term relationship where they would just feed her, love on her, talk to her about, you know, worldview matters and, and sexuality. And eventually she becomes this, like, super, like, reformed Christian and is, is writing books as an apologist. I think that's what it's describing. It's describing when we live above reproach, people can go from darkness to light. People can be disarmed. Um, so let me ask you, how do you handle false accusation? How do you handle disdain in your workplace? How do you handle that moment? And it may feel like failure. It may feel like, man, I'm not having the impact I want to have. But remember, you are in exile, you are in the darkness, and in that darkness, that's where that, that spark is going to shine the brightest. All right? Everybody say uh, abstinence. Everybody say above reproach. This is so good. This is like, it's, like, it's, like, it's getting liturgical now, you know, actually. It's like, it's like Baptist, but a liturgical kind of Baptist. It's good. Um, <laughs> all right, now we're going to move on to alignment. Say alignment. Good. So that's in um, verse 13 and 14 and 17. But what I mean here is that ministry in exile means ordering our, our lives under the structure 
of the universe, okay? And we see this in verse 13 and 14 and 17. And I love this. It's so counterintuitive the way Peter's describing this. Um, But he says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor, honor, honor. All right, so the assumption running through First and Second Peter is that these Christians are being disdained. Like I said, I don't think it's primarily physical persecution. There's a really good, good book on this called um, Evangelism in Exile that goes through this and argues for the fact that it probably wasn't primarily physical persecution at this stage in the New Testament that Peter's describing. He's talking about being disdained. He's talking about being falsely accused. He's talking about um, this dynamic of what that means as a Christian. You need to be above reproach. But then it goes on in this section to talk about how that relates to the authorities. And it's interesting because even though they're being disdained and they're being sidelined, Peter assumes that if they live a life that is ordered and actually submissive, use the S word, sorry, um, then they will actually be praised as good by the authorities. And again, it's not always the case, but that's what Peter's addressing. The universe, you see, is actually centered on God. Newsflash. Like, when you leave the church here today, it will still be God's world, and it will be centered around God. But most of the world doesn't live like that. The world lives, I I often live, as if the world is centered around me. Why? Well, because that's the only perspective I have, right? Like, I see out of my own head through my eyes. So, I'm very me-centered in my perspective, and that is something I have to constantly fight against, but that's the way the world is living. And when we live in accord with reality that God is the center of the universe, that God is the life-giving fountain that can satisfy us, what that does is it, it makes us live in accord with reality. Um, most of the world is constantly rubbing against the grain of reality. Do you know that? Like, have you ever tried to, like, saw a piece of wood against the grain? It's harder, you know? Um, and that's the way the world is living all the time because, because they don't know God, because they're resisting, they're rationalizing, they're justifying. But when we live as disciples of Christ and we're centered on the gospel and the freedom and joy there is in Christ and, and the beauty of God in His glory, what it does is it, it shines to the world and authorities, particularly authorities, that's what this passage is talking about, are bosses. Like, if you live a God-centered life, your bosses will like that. You know, they may maybe like it for the wrong reasons, um, but that's the truth. And Peter's saying, if you live that way, align yourself under the way the world is built by God, this will lead to life. It will lead to joy. And again, I think this seems so counterintuitive for us. It's like, no, the world's getting secular. We need to be like more like 
Not, not, not more like traditional, you know, this sounds so traditional, <laughs> doesn't it? I realized, like, man, I'm preaching a very conservative sermon today. It's kind of interesting. Um, sorry. Um, but, you know, it's interesting. The world longs for this. And I think my perspective, which is limited, but in a post-Christian, very post-Christian secular context, is that in Denmark, people are looking for this. They're actually looking for a life that is ordered and that actually just works. You know, um, particularly young men in Denmark, if you come with this message that says, God forgives you and he doesn't really care what you do, which God does forgive us, okay? That's, that's the center of the gospel. But there's kind of a watering down that's happening from the sort of cultural state Lutheranism. I think they're just sort of like not impressed. It's like, okay, but how do I live? Postmodernism has become irrational. It really has. To the point where I think the youth are looking, like Corona probably affected this. Like They're just looking for someone to tell them, like, give me 12 rules for living that make sense of my life. Like, I'm a mess, you know? I can't even get out of bed. I'm emotionally, even though I have all the privileges in Denmark, there's a, a pandemic of, of, of um, health, uh, mental health crisis in the youth, even in Denmark, which is one of the happiest places in the world. And we see this. There's a guy named Sven Brinkman in Denmark. He's a, a Danish um, psychologist. He's extremely popular. And he comes with this very, like, conservative message of, like, Tadai something, you know, Tadai something, yeah. Get it together, basically, <laughs> like, just like, do the thing, stop being so centered on yourself and live your life, and um, so let me just ask you this, in this point, are you, are you living this way? Are you aligning your life under authority, under the way that God has built the universe? Um, I think we can be so individualistic. We can be so autonomous in our Christianity in the West. Um, but are you under the authority of, of these pastors? Um, pa- pa- pastors and elders and leaders, are, are you guys being led? Every pastor needs a pastor. Amen? Are you being pastored? Are you being accountable? What, what human institutions is God calling you to align yourselves with and under? Okay? Again, very traditional message today, but blame Peter, I guess. All right, abandon, abandon. That's our last point. Everybody say abandon. So the gospel sets us free from our need to prove ourselves and protect ourselves. Verse 16, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Servants of God. Abandon. Servants of God is a phrase that Paul uses a lot, and it means in the Greek, guess what? Servants of God. It's very, it's very tricky. And it doesn't say customers of God. It doesn't say mall shoppers of church. It says servants of God. And what is, this, what is he getting at? He's getting at the gospel calls us to a whole life of service with reckless abandon. Okay? Jesus is not okay with a half-hearted faith. Do you know that? He is not okay with a watered-down faith. He calls us to a radical, 
wholehearted. Pa- Pastor Brian and Josiah here, you guys seem like really wholehearted dudes. I love that. It's because they're old farmers, you know. That's a, maybe, um, but that's, that's what God is calling us to. He's calling us to go all in with Jesus. Um, and there's a couple of, of you in this church that I, I'd love to recruit to come over to the Nordics. Um, but how, 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 how am I going to do that? I'm not going to tell you it's easy, because it's not. I'm not going to tell you that you're going to have your best life now in Denmark, because it's so happy. Not as a Christian, you're not. It's very, very dark spiritually. I'm going to call you to count the cost and die to yourselves. And why, why would I do that? Because Jesus did that. <laughs> you know, like, he rooted the, his message in grace. Amen? This is a message of grace. But the difference between the worldly message of easy believism and Jesus is that he says, come and die to yourself because I have died for you. Peter says, live as people who are free. And what does he mean by that? He's saying, the gospel has set you free from this need to justify yourselves that we all have. And that's true in Denmark too, ironically. It's not a religious place at all, but there's this perfectionism that just drives people to their knees. They feel like we have to keep up this appearance. And the gospel sets us free. It says, it is finished. Christ says, I have done it. It is finished. There's nothing you can do to earn your righteousness. There's nothing you can do to justify yourselves, to make yourself safe. I have done it. So stop relating to me like you're at a shopping mall. You can't consume this grace. You have to come and sacrifice. You you, you can't possibly earn anything that Jesus gives to you. I can't. By preaching this sermon today, by planting a church, by starting a ministry, by living my life, there's nothing that I can do. And what does that mean? It sets me free, on the one hand, from my need to prove myself, but it also sets me free to just give everything to Jesus. To stop playing this game of tit for tat with Jesus. Anybody find yourself doing that in your prayer time? A little bit of a tit for tat. Jesus says, lay it all down. And it's a different kind of freedom. It's not the freedom that the world offers. It says, just do whatever you want. It's, it's like that bird that's in the cage and is singing. You ever heard that phrase? Why does a cage bird sing? I, I, I would just say, like, because we're in the right cage. Like, this is the world that God has made for us. It is the best possible world. And in Christ, when we suffer, when we're disdained, when we're in exile, it is designed by God for our joy and his glory. This is the very best life for you <laughs> in Christ. And so you can live in freedom. There's a Danish uh, cyclist named Jonas Vingegaard who um, won the Tour de France this year. So, yeah, the Danes. And he was, so this, this is the Tour de France. You've probably heard of it. Uh, racing 2,000 miles over 23 days, and he defeated none other than the all-time great Slovenian Tadej Pogakar. And he had, interestingly enough, this huge crash when he got back to Denmark. Apparently, he was really struggling, partially because he was just sort of quiet and private guy, and he went to a small, small town in, in Jutland, and he was greeted by these huge crowds. And He was only the second ever Dane to win the Tour de France, 
But he had a really hard time adjusting to private life as the superstar afterwards. Why? Because everything in his life had been driving to this moment. He was trying to prove what he could accomplish. Okay, And I'm not judging him or whatever. I know he's not a Christian, so he doesn't know Christ. He doesn't know the gospel. And so when he finally got to that moment, it was like, bleh, afterwards, right? You know, like, you ever have that? Guys, the gospel sets us free from that. And we don't always live free, but Peter's saying live free. We have nothing to prove ever. So rather than, than giving ourselves, you know, this tit-for-tat relationship, always trying to prove, just, just let it all go. Lay down your life, take up your cross, follow Jesus, do ministry in exile. Um, so I'm calling you to realize in this message that you're an outsider. You are in exile. And I'm calling you to embrace that with nobility and an attractive holiness that adorns the gospel. You know that phrase in the New Testament? I think a couple of times, once in Titus and somewhere else. Um, I'm calling you to embrace that, to live that quiet beauty that an increasingly hostile world can't resist. In verse 12, I'm just going to read it again. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So there is a way forward for ministry in exile. But you might be thinking, Christian, is this really the way to reach the world? Abstinence and submission? Like, wow, what kind of a message is this? We, hey, this is God's wisdom. Amen? This is God's wisdom. What about, what about like being trendy and cool and fitting in? And here's the deal. The world is always going to be better at that game than we are. You know what I'm saying? Although you guys are pretty good. I like the art and all that. But, you know. so, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, the world is always going to be one step ahead of us. So we, we're not going to win there. What about having all the answers, Christian? Here's the deal. The human heart is mostly after joy, mostly after a life of wholeness. The intellectual answers will come. Um, what about... Christian, when the authorities don't do what Peter says, what if they don't reward the good? Then we suffer. There is suffering. There is a call to suffer, but we do so to the glory of God. What if I miss out on the good life, the career and the family, all these things that I've been dreaming for? What if I miss out on that, Christian? The best life is a radical love of Jesus. Um, I'm doing something kind of radical, so I can just testify. It is. Um, should we really give up so easily, Christian? This seems like you're just giving in to the, the cultural, you know, tide. Um, and I would say, no, I don't think we should give up um, on, on, on losing the cultural dominance, you know? But, but that's not the main thing we're commended to by Peter here, is it? It's not primarily about using the tools of the world to beat the world, is it? It's not. So yeah, you should fight, but fight with, with an honorable posture, with tact and joy. So, in Christ, the call to minister from exile is one of great hope and joy, and he's strong enough to lead us through that. Let me close in prayer. God, we thank you for this time, and um, we thank you for 
just bringing us together in worship, and we pray that you would be with us as we step out from this place and go into exile again. Um, we pray that you would give us the willingness to obey when it's, um, it's challenging. Um, we pray that you would use us for your glory.